When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oh, yes, give me my theme music. And we'll get to Prime in a second. Prime had something interesting to say about a moment in Saturday's game that we were all talking about, but nobody asked him about it until he brought it up on Tuesday. But we got a loaded show for you today. We got Joe Alt, star left tackle at Notre Dame, maybe a first-round draft pick next year. He's going against Ohio State this weekend. It's going to be one of the better matchups as Joe against Ohio State's pass rushers. Cannot wait to hear from him. We've also got Cincinnati defensive tackle Dante Corleone, the godfather. It's one of the best D-tackles in the country. Cincinnati making its Big 12 debut with Oklahoma coming to Nippert Stadium on Saturday. This is how loaded this Saturday is. We got Clark Brooks, the SEC stat cat from on three. He's going to come in and break down the X's and O's of Ole Miss, Alabama, and Auburn, Texas A&M. But let's, let's start with Ole Miss, Alabama, because we had Lane Kiffin and Nick Saban. You heard from them both on yesterday's show. Remember, Lane Kiffin on Sunday said, hey, we watched the TV copy of the Alabama-USF game, and it, it sure looked like Traveris Robinson was calling the defense instead of Kevin Steele. Traveris Robinson, the corners coach at Alabama, former defensive coordinator at South Carolina. Kevin Steele, the current defensive coordinator at Alabama, former defensive coordinator pretty much everywhere. Miami, Auburn, LSU, Clemson, you name it. The, man, the man's worked a lot of places. But that prompted a response from Nick Saban, who wasn't even asked about it. He just launched right into it at his press conference. Said, no, 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 Kevin Steele's the DC. And then Lane Kiffin got the follow-up. You sure about that? And Lane Kiffin's basically like, I saw what I saw. Everybody knows everybody else. That's what happened. And so it is a brilliant troll job, if nothing else. I don't know if it affects the game one bit. I don't know if it helps Ole Miss win, if it makes Alabama waste time, if it causes any sort of consternation inside the Alabama coach's office. But it sure makes it fun. And so... On X Tuesday morning, a user named Shawnee Jackson sent me a message and said, it's so funny that Lane does the shoulder shrugging thing with his hands, just like Saban does in his pressers. And I was like, you know what? That Lane Kiffin answer about what he said about Nick Saban and about what he said about the defensive coordinator, it does look an awful lot physically like Nick Saban at a press conference. So I went back and looked at Nick Saban's discussion in his press conference of who was calling the plays on defense. And you know what? It's uncanny. So we did a side-by-side sync. Here now are Lane Kiffin and Nick Saban. Uh, On this other thing that I hear floating around out there, I'm sure you've seen the same reports I've seen, is Kevin Steele is the defensive coordinator. 
Um, you know, he has all the defensive kind of like coordinator responsibilities. You know, you different uh, the only thing that I didn't um, that was, on from administrators, I was asked the question, what was like game day administration of getting the signals in quicker? Um, all right, so. Is Lane Kiffin becoming Nick Saban? It was uncanny. Both of them are gripping the lectern in the same way. Both of them have the hands flying off the lectern to the side and then ripping it again at almost the same intervals. When they get to the meat of their answer each time, they start gesticulating, but not wildly, not all over the place, not... Ooh, I'm up above my head or I'm over my shoulders. No, very much in control around the way, around the midsection, basically. So this makes me wonder as a seasoned Lane Kiffin observer, because I would believe this either way. I would believe it if Lane Kiffin, while working for Nick Saban, simply adopted some of Nick Saban's mannerisms because they were around each other a bunch or because Lane said, this guy's the best to ever do it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to emulate some of the things he does. Or I would also believe it if you told me that at some point before this week, Lane Kiffin studied some Nick Saban press conference tape and got his mannerisms down pat specifically for this instance. I would believe either one at this point. But it is amazing, and I'm, I'm going to watch it one more time because I just... It's hilarious to watch Nick Saban and Lane Kiffin essentially be the same person. Uh, on this other thing that I, mean, I hear I floating around out there, I'm sure you've seen the same reports that I've seen, is Kevin Steele is the defensive coordinator. Um, he has all the defensive coordinator responsibilities. The only thing that I didn't um, on from an administrative standpoint was game day administration of getting the signals in quicker. All right, so... I could watch it all day. It's mesmerizing. If you are not watching this on YouTube, if you're listening to this in podcast form, go to my X account, formerly Twitter. There'll be that clip. You'll, you'll be able to see it. Or go to the YouTube page on 3YouTube. Watch it on YouTube. Hit that thumbs up. Maybe hit subscribe too to the On3Sports YouTube channel. You get all kinds of good stuff there. So... I don't know what the answer to this is. Is this the ultimate master troll job by Lane Kiffin? Or is he becoming Nick Saban? I'll accept either answer. All I know is it makes this game on Saturday even better. Get your popcorn ready, as Lane Kiffin once said, before a game that you, you probably didn't want a lot of popcorn for. This is going to be spectacular. This is just amazing. And we'll talk more about this game when we talk to Clark Brooks as he breaks down what Alabama's offense did look like with Jalen Milrow running it and what it should look like with Jalen Milrow running it. But first, we're going to talk a little more about Coach Prime because what are the big talking points coming out of Saturday? Which, by the way, the Colorado-Colorado State game drew 9.3 million viewers on ESPN. That shattered any... Pac-12 after dark record that they once had. It was the most watched game of the weekend. It's up there with the SEC championship game from last year. That, that's the level of rating. This It's Colorado, Colorado State. Like that is the Dion effect. Colorado, Colorado State in the middle of the night 
got almost as many viewers as last year's SEC championship game. It's nuts. So one intriguing aspect of that is it goes to overtime and Colorado took the ball first in overtime. And Dion in his Tuesday press conference explained why. Um, one thing that I think I haven't gotten this question yet and I can't believe it is that um, overtime, we wanted the ball. Why y'all ain't asking me about that? Why did I want the ball? I want the office out there. Why? You go, girl. You go, girl. I want to put the darn ball in Shador's hand. Why? Because I know what he's going to do, and he's going to put pressure on them to do something that they're not prepared, pre prepared to do consistently. That's why. Shallow said, Daddy. And he called me Dad. I'm like, I'm not your dad. I'm your coach right now. He said, uh, You putting the defense out there first? I said, No. Your brother's going to take this, and he's going to do what he does. That was really the conversation. That answer is not bull junk. If you watch the 98-yard the drive that forced overtime, it makes sense to throw Colorado's offense right back out on the field and force a gassed Colorado State defense to deal with more Shadur Sanders. But it's interesting because conventional college football wisdom says you play defense first in overtime. I actually wrote a story back at my old job at The Athletic at the beginning of last season because Houston – their football staff had decided not to take defense first in overtime. They'd, they had done a study during the pandemic, and they basically found that there was no real difference between who won the game based on who played defense first and who played offense first. So uh, Ryan Dorchester, the director of operations, the one who did the study, and then Dana Holgerson took that information and said, you know what, let's try it. Not because they thought it would actually – create a new paradigm that, that that's how people would do it, but they just wanted to see what happened and it actually worked for them in their first game against UTSA. And then they played another overtime game, I believe against Texas tech where it did not work. They ended up losing the game, but there is some method to the madness there. And that is why Dion took the ball first in overtime, which again, makes sense because you've just driven 98 yards on them. They're pretty tired. That that's it's more common sense than anything else. So I don't know if that will happen again. That seems pretty situational. I don't think that's necessarily a, an overriding theme that he's going to, every time he goes to overtime, he's going to take the ball. But in that particular situation, the reasoning makes sense. So there you go. They're playing Oregon this week. Very different vibe with Dion this week. Uh, they asked him about Dan Lanning's comments about Colorado when Colorado moved to the Big 12 and, and Dan Lanning said, well, I don't know if they've, they've won anything here. Does it, have they done anything in the, in the Pac-12? And this was actually before Oregon moved to the Big 10. But this was not Dion going, he made it personal. It wasn't like with Jay Norvell last week. He, he basically said, no, no, I respect the man. I respect his program. He's keeping it going. Dion's watched the tape. Oregon's got a bunch of dudes and Dion doesn't have Travis Hunter. He's going to be out a few weeks with that lacerated liver. So they're, they're going to have the work cut out for him this week. And I think Dion knows that. So very different vibe, but very interesting answer to that question as to why they took the ball first in overtime. And when you think about it, logically, it does make sense. So congratulations to Dion for going against conventional football wisdom, but also doing the thing that, yeah, Defense just gave up a 98-yard drive. Defense is tired. Quarterback's hot. Let's go.
wanted the darn ball in Shadur's hands. That's all it is. Also on Tuesday, Mel Tucker responded to Michigan State's announcement that it intends to fire him for cause. And the gist of the response is basically, we're going to see you in court. Uh, we One of the, the lines was, we, we can't wait for discovery of emails and communications and basically saying we're going to find embarrassing stuff. And uh, one of the other lines is uh, Michigan State knew about the information on which it supposedly relies to end my contract since at least March 2023 in Mel Tucker's letter. It says, yet only after Miss Tracy, that's Brenda Tracy, the accuser, and potentially others leaked the confidential information report to the press did Michigan State suddenly decide the same information warrants termination? Now, Michigan State leaders have claimed that the athletic director and the interim president did not find out the specifics of the case until it was revealed in a USA Today story earlier this month. So that will be an interesting subplot to watch. Is, is there evidence that they knew earlier and didn't do anything until it came out? Because remember... Mel Tucker still has not had his hearing on this sexual harassment claim. So we'll see what happens. He's getting fired. He's not coming back to Michigan State. Right now he's fighting for the money that Michigan State would owe him if they had to fire him without cause, which is close to $80 million. So my guess is this will be a very nasty fight over this money as Michigan State tries to not pay it and Mel Tucker tries to get it. But we shall see. On to the field. It's a loaded weekend, but no game more story than Ohio State coming to South Bend to play Notre Dame. Notre Dame with Sam Hartman, they feel like they've got the missing piece at quarterback. But one thing Notre Dame has had the last few years, an elite offensive line, no different this year. And the guy that makes it go is left tackle Joe Alt. He was nice enough to join us ahead of the Ohio State game. Here's Joe. You're joined now by Notre Dame offensive tackle Joe Alt. Little game in South Bend this weekend. Joe, what what is what is campus like right now as we are getting ready, you know, a few days away from maybe the biggest game in college football all season coming to your backyard? Yeah, no, it's uh, it's definitely interesting. Uh, you kind of go out there and you can kind of feel it. You know, nothing's happening yet, but you can see the preparation beginning, you know right in front of touchdown Jesus, you know, where it's going to be and, you know, what's going to be going on there. So there's a little bit of a kind of a, I don't know what the word is, but, you know, you can just feel on campus. It's definitely different. You know, come Thursday, people will start showing up and I start get busy. And then, you know, you're going to class and you're trying not to get distracted, but, you know, you got to stay into it. So after that game Saturday, were, were you guys like, okay, finally we can talk about Ohio State. Like we can, we can think about this. I mean, obviously, yeah, it's, it's a big game on the schedule, but you can't never – you never get to focus on one day at a time. One game at a time, focus on your opponent and, you know, taking care of business each and every week, playing your fullest potential, and that's what's our goal. So, yeah, now we're officially on Ohio State week, and, you know, it's it's time to focus on this game. And, you know, just like big focus this week has just been, you know, win today, win one moment at a time. We're, we're going to get to Saturday. And, you know, on Saturday it's all about reaching our full potential. But right now let's just stay in the moment, you know, block out the noise and win today. For you, having played them before, do you think back to that game last year? Did you did you feel like there was anything you could improve on? You know, show that you're a, you're a different guy from the season opener last year. Yeah, no, I definitely. That's one of like the first games I watched on film was my my game from last year. And you know, there's definitely things you look at and you're like, okay, you know, I, I feel like I'm better at that now, or you know, I, I that's not what I want to do. I want to you know change this. And you know, that's definitely where I started. You know, with the film was watching that game, and you know. 
I think it's big, you know, now you know, you're, you're, you're settled into the season. Now, you know, it's, it's come up on for us game five of the season. So there's a little more like, you know, you don't have that first game jitters, you know, you're into the first game. So definitely, you know, start with that game, watching film, seeing things, seeing things that, oh, I did like that, that made that work or, you know, maybe I got to change that up. So yeah, definitely started with that and look back at that game. You've been a starter since your freshman year. If you could go back and give freshman Joe any advice, what, what would it be right now? Yeah, you know, for for me, I think freshman Joe needed a little bit of a reminder of just the basics, you know, tr- you know, working on technique. You know, I feel like for me, freshman year, it was a lot of just trying to survive the best, you know, survive out there and get the job done. But, you know, with that process, you know, you can you got to work on te- technique and work on fundamentals and, you know, build on that. So I think, you know, if I could go back with that, it's, you know, start with the little things, start with the footwork, start with the hands, you know, work those things, you know, build those things from the ground up. And that's, you know, very important. So that's probably what I would tell freshman Joe. So this this group is interesting because Notre Dame usually has a pretty veteran offensive line. Uh, your your center Zeke is is older, but the rest of you all came in in the same class. Yeah. What, what is that like? You know, it's definitely interesting. It was funny. You know, as as the kind of you know the depth chart you know broke down in fall camp, we started to kind of see it take take shape. It was like, wow, you know, this is this is the full you know my twenty one class is all playing. You know, it's obviously a lot of fun. You know, you went through recruitment together, and you know the guys from you know prior to coming here, you know high school guys, you watched them on you know. You know, social media, seeing their plays, you know, you know, just when you come off after a Friday night game. So there's definitely a personal connection there. You have that friendship built in, you know, that's our class and uh, it's a lot of fun. But then you got, you know, your leader in the middle of Zeke, you know, holding on the fort veteran. He's, you know, tough as nails, smart guy. And he brings a confidence. The group start with his communication inside. So it's been a lot of fun so far. Do you guys talk about the, the Joe Moore Award at all? It, it seems I feel like it's the best trophy in sports because it's the only one that requires a forklift. Mm-hmm. But I mean, what would it mean for this unit to be able to do something like that? Yeah, I mean, it'd be an absolute honor. That's, you know, at the end of the day, we obviously, that's our goal. But you can't really look at, you know, big time things. You can't look at big time goals. You got to focus on, you know, how do we, if we want to achieve that, what do we got to do today? What do we got to work on today? So I think, yeah, that's obviously a huge honor. But, you know, we got to focus on the here and now and take it one day at a time and just get a little better each and every day and improve on some things that, you know, maybe we're not in the strongest in or we want to improve on or just as a group or personal, you know. You take it, break it down, you know, one guy at a time. You know, you take one thing. We, we do this every week. One thing, the wrong thing in the past you want to improve on. And if every guy does that, you're just getting a little bit better. And if each person's getting a little bit better, the whole line's getting a little better. And that, you know, transfers to the offense. The offense is getting better. And then, you know, the whole team's getting better because we bring, the, bring you know, momentum from the offensive side of the ball. So that's been our big focus. So, yeah, it's obviously definitely a, a goal, but we try to take, take stay in the moment. That's interesting. So, you, so, like, each week do you write that down to say, I – I, I want to do this better in the pass game and this better in the run game. And then each of you guys focuses yeah. on that. Wow, yeah, that's, that's our, smart. Yeah, in our old line room, we have our our whiteboard, the front whiteboard. Each and every week, you know, we erase it. And it could be the same thing from last week. If you have something you still want to work on, but we all write it down, you know, one thing in the pass, one thing in the run, that's what we want to improve on. So it's it's weekly. Are we giving away too much if you say what your what your pass game one was this week? Or or, or maybe we can go last week. We yeah, no, I mean, you know, for general, for me, it's always, you know, getting a little bit lower. That's always my focus. Yeah. You know, in the run of the pass, you know, I got to gotta always get lower, get that, you know, leverage is always important to me and, you know, footwork in both the pass and the run and, you know, being able to use your hands and hit your landmarks in both the run and the pass is always my focus. We'll be back with more from Notre Dame offensive tackle Joe Alt. But first, I want to tell you about game time. Do you want to see Joe and the Fighting Irish play against Ohio State? I know what you're thinking. That game has been sold out forever. But there is a place you can get tickets. It's game time. You can get tickets in the most stress-free environment possible. You type in Notre Dame football. You click on it. You click on the Ohio State game. 
all the available tickets pop up. You touch the one you look, you like. All of a sudden, you see the view you'd get at Notre Dame Stadium. Now, perhaps you want to go somewhere else. Maybe you want to go see Dante Corleone, who you're also going to hear from on this show, as the Cincinnati Bearcats play their first ever Big 12 game against the Oklahoma Sooners at Nippert Stadium. Well, type in Cincinnati football, one click, find the event, find your ticket. And as you can see, when you're looking at those seats, no bad seats in Nippert Stadium. So use the code STAPLES to get $20 off your first purchase. You go to gametime.co, download that app, code STAPLES, 20 bucks off your first purchase. It's so easy. When you got that ticket pulled up, you're about two clicks away from being done. And oh, by the way, you want to transfer a ticket to a friend on game day, you can text it right from the app. Game time is the easiest way to get last minute tickets. Download the app, use the code staples for $20 off your first purchase. Game time is the way to go for last minute tickets. So new quarterback this season and Sam Hartman, how quickly did he assimilate to, to this, this team's culture? Yeah, it was quick. It was kind of, you know, when we heard he was coming in, you know, you're always kind of like, oh, you know, a new guy in the locker room, you know, it's going to be different. But it was it was immediate. You know, he stepped in and he just felt connected to the guy. You felt, you know, a relationship, you know, begin and grow and you knew that it was going to grow. And, you know, now, you know, you get to play with him and, you know, still same guy in the locker room, you know, still your buddy, your brother in the locker room. But then on the field, he's such a confident, confident person, you know, because he puts the work in, because he studies you know the film so much and prepares and mentally prepares and then there's just a confidence out there with them and uh it's been a lot of fun and that that, that, fr that friendship and that relationship has grown you know literally from day one it's been great i just remember when when your offensive coordinator tommy Rees left for alabama sam puts out an instagram video and it's just him doing trap bar deadlifts which feels like he's talking more to you guys than he is to to us mm-hmm yeah, no, for sure. You know, it's it's all about going to work. And, you know, I think that's what we, we try to do is, you know, stay in the present. And, you know, every week, every day, it's staying in the moment, staying in now. How am I going to, you know, capture this opportunity, capture this moment, you know, get better at something I'm going to do. If that's in the classroom, going to school in the morning, if it's here in the film room watching film, if it's in meetings, you know, learning the, the offensive game plan, or if it's on the field, you know, how am I going to win the moment? How am I going to focus on the here and now? And uh, just try to get a little better every day. And those are going to grow on top of each other. So every offensive lineman we have on, we ask the same question. So I, I, will, I will hit you with this. I, I'm, we're, we're keeping a chart somewhere somewhere in the, in the office. Perfect steak. How's it cooked? Which cut? Ooh. You know, I'm a porterhouse guy. I okay, like, very nice. I like a big piece of meat. I like it, you know, a little fatty. I like the flavor. Um, for me, it's a, a between a medium rare and a medium. I'm not a full medium rare because I like it to be warm, but I also don't want like any like you know gray or brown in it. I want it to be pink throughout, but I don't want it to be too under because then it kind of scares me a little bit. So that's my go-to. I, I love it because everybody has a very specific like. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the Florida State offensive line was like medium rare plus, and I was mm -hmm. like, I don't even know what that is. Yeah. I, 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 if I, I would be nervous ordering that because I wouldn't know how to say it. But mm -hmm. the, the way you described it, like you could tell that to the server. Yeah. And you will get your steak cooked perfectly. Right. Exactly. I, I just, you know, I don't want it to be cold. That always scares me. I don't want it to be cold or, you know, I still want, I want to cook a little bit. You got to have a little bit. I don't, I want to save the flavor. I want it right in the middle. You know, I don't want, I don't want it to be cold and I want to have the flavor there too. So, so you're, you're from Minnesota. So I got to ask this Juicy Lucy's, is that for tourists or, or do you guys actually eat those too? 
I mean, we do, but it's more of a tourist thing. Like, it's something like you hit for like for me. It was like my first great birthday, so I was like, all right, we're going, we're going there for tonight. We're gonna find some of the juicy Lucy's and we're gonna go there for dinner. And that was kind of the thing. But you know, it's not a regular thing. It's it's a lot. It's a lot of food. It's a lot of hot cheese. So stay away from it. But you know, it's definitely more of a tourist thing. But you gotta have one once in a while when you're home. Yeah, the, the exploding cheese come because it's a great concept. Yeah, but then you bite in, and if you bite in too early, you burn. Yeah, it's a guaranteed mouth burn. So you got to be careful when you're doing that. But uh, no, I can I can remember my first grade one. I I, got, I sat down, I ate, it started the first bite. My mouth was ruined for the next week. Is that true? <laughs> it is hot. So you got to be careful, no doubt. Happy sixth birthday, Joe. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, all right, we we got it. And I know you've you've talked a lot about this, but but I watched that food tour. I used to. I used to do a lot of food reviews mm-hmm. on the internet and, and writing food reviews. And so I, I have a few notes, but uh, I, I, this scene in particular is you were in New York and you were reviewing some street food. You've got a great, like to the 10th place in the, in the decimal yeah. points reviewing system, but you start with the glizzy yeah. and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll start there. Kind of show it to the camera, a little, little beautiful hot dog with some ketchup on there. Perfect amount of ketchup. I love hot dogs. We're starting off hot with a little 7-3 on the hot dog. It's pretty darn good. So that's a message to any defensive lineman you might have to block that says I'm a psychopath, right? <laughs> Just catch up on my hot dog. No, there's a reason for that. See, I'm always like big thing for me, I always eat hot dogs when I'm golfing. So I always get one brat and one hot dog, and the brat is strictly mustard. And the hot dog is truly ketchup. That's just how I do it. You can call me a psychopath, but that's how I do it. So that's why you saw that. And I, I know I got, I got hated for it. You can't put too many condiments on there. You can't put ketchup and mustard. I felt like and I always like ketchup on my hot dog because you lose the flavor. So I had to keep it you know, somewhat legit. Well, mustard on a broad is, I mean, that's nirvana right there. That's perfect. Right. right. But the, it, it's interesting because you, if you got one packet of each, that way you could you, you got ketchup on your hot dog and, and right. mustard on your brat and you're good. So that's that's the that is the golf. Is that now is that a like at the turn kind of oh, thing or is that the turn? You know, a little Gatorade, a little hot dog and a, and a, and a brat. That's your go to in the turn. Refuel you for the, the, the second nine and, you know, going into it ready to go. I think you know where I'm going next. So we're, we're going to watch this one. This is a baking egg and cheese bagel, not bagel, bagel. I honestly don't know what's better, the bacon and the egg or this chocolate chip bagel. Oh my goodness. Look at that. A little chocolate chip in there. Adds a little sweetness to this. Ooh. Best thing I've had yet. Getting a big score from me. It's gonna be an 8.2. Really, really solid. Great, great item. I had to come back on here and be truthful with you guys. After further review, it was not a chocolate chip bagel. It was a raisin bagel, but it was still great. And uh, I think it was cranberry to be exact. It was great. I, I, I strongly suggest getting the cranberry bagel next time. So first it was chocolate chip, then it was yep. raisin, and then we land on cranberry ultimately. Yeah, it was bad. It was a bad performance by me. Um, I got, I got you know, one excuse. I think I got a little hot out there. It was pretty warm in New York City that it day. It looked like I it. Do. You know, I'm sweating, I'm eating food, and I, I got something sweet in my mouth right away. And I was like, hmm, that's sweet. And I was like, I was looking at it before, and it looked like brown. I was like, oh, it must be chocolate chip. And then, you know, after I'd taken a couple more bites, I was like, that's not a chocolate chip. So that's, I know it was bad, but, you know, it had to be done. I had to come back are, on and be truthful. Are you a sweet, savory person? <sighs> e, 
I, I wouldn't say I'm like sweet over salty. I do like, okay. sweet, but it's not for me. It's not like there's one over the other. So you have, have you had like, there's a place in Tampa, Florida called Dats and they yep. do a burger mm-hmm. where the bun, each side of the bun is a donut. And is that too much right there? Yeah, that's not going to be for me. See, I like, I like to keep it like it's either, it's either a sweet or, you know, it's not. So like for me, if I'm getting a burger, it's, you know, if you're going to put anything on it, it's me bacon because you just want to make it more hearty. That's for me. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't want the donut on there. No, that's not for me. Well, you're, you're going to eventually have your own food network show. I can tell, but it, it, it's interesting because you, you were dealing with some of the stuff I had to do. Like I was writing these food reviews and, and my bosses at the time were like, could you put some of these on video? I was like, sure. Yeah. And so you start filming it and you realize people are watching me chew now. Mm-hmm. And then as I talk, food is projectile toward the camera. Yeah. And it's hot and you're trying to eat it and you're like, it's burning my mouth, but I got to get it down. So I have to chew the whole time. Yeah. It's, it was not, not, I didn't expect that going into it. It wasn't like, Oh, I'm not like chew on camera, but you know, you, you work through it. It's not fun, but you got it done. The whole, whole new respect for Guy Fieri, right? Oh, 100%. Huge respect. <laughs> yeah. That's why he, that's why he does the, mm, yeah, exactly. mm. yep. it just gives you a little time. It gives you a little time to chew. It gives you a little time to think, you know, it's a little, What's that word? A little filibuster. It gives a little break in there. You know, you can eat it. You can think about it. You can chew it. And then you can go back to what it, how you feel about it. You were the first and only person on this show who has used the word filibuster. And I appreciate that. <laughs> no problem. You know, I got to work. You got to work it in there every once in a while. I don't know. It just came to mind. This is why we bring offensive linemen on this show. <laughs> because we get, we get multi-syllabic responses. Oh, and yeah. I love it. Yep. <laughs> Joe, thank you so much. And, uh, and, and good luck against the Buckeyes. Thank you. Appreciate it. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. That's Joe Alt, and what a game this weekend. It's going to be so much fun watching him against JT Tuomalau and, and Ohio State's other edge rushers. This is I, – I haven't been this excited for a game in quite some time. I am going. I cannot wait. Haven't been to South Bend for a big game in a while, and this is, this is going to be good. Uh, might have to get Joe's advice on where to dine in South Bend. Everybody knows about CJ's Pub. I'm a Golden Domer. That's the burger I usually get there. But, you know, let me see if, if there's anything new. Uh, although I don't know how much I trust him after the, the only ketchup on the hot dog thing. I'm, just, it's, I'm still processing that right now. But before we go to our next interview, uh, some bad, sad news out of Hanover, New Hampshire. Uh, Buddy Tevens, the, the Dartmouth coach, has passed away. And uh, those who don't know, Buddy Tevens was struck by a pickup truck while riding his bicycle in Florida earlier this year he had to have a leg amputated there were spinal injuries and uh he has passed away now and it is so sad because coach stevens was just an incredibly cool guy i got to know him a little bit when he was an assistant at florida uh, under steve spurrier and just a so smart and in at dartmouth which was his alma mater he was a quarterback there he did so much to try to help make the game safer. They pioneered those tackling dummy robots and just all kinds of stuff. He was just trying to make sure 
that the game would endure and that it could be played safely. And just so sad that this happened the way it happened and uh, just a life cut short. Uh, I will say, I, I do know that Buddy Tevens was a giant parrot head. So uh, Buddy Tevens, Mike Leach, two giant parrot head coaches hanging with, with Jimmy Buffett up there in the great beyond uh, rest in peace and you know, thoughts to, to his family, because that is incredibly sad and it sucks that, that this, this had to happen. And, uh, but you know, your heart goes out to the, the folks of the Dartmouth community and, and hopefully uh, Sammy McCorkle, their coach can, can get everybody together. They're going to play against Lehigh this weekend and uh, you know, good luck to, to the big green. So moving on to another big game this weekend, Cincinnati plays its first big 12 game. You saw Houston, they made their big 12 debut with TCU coming in. It did not go that well for Houston. Cincinnati coming off an upset loss to Miami of Ohio. Perhaps it was a look-ahead situation because they've got Oklahoma coming in. This will be the only time they'll play Oklahoma as a conference opponent, we think, you know, barring further realignment. But we think this will be the only time they play Oklahoma as a conference opponent because Oklahoma is obviously headed to the SEC. But going to be big at Nippert. Big noon Saturday. The Fox crew is going to be there. Uh, if you've never been to, to Nippert Stadium, it's one of the coolest places in college football. I, I'm so glad that the wider college football world is going to get to see that at noon on Saturday as Oklahoma rolls in there. But Oklahoma is going to have to deal with a gentleman named Dante Corleone. His nickname is the Godfather. He is a 318-pound defensive tackle, one of the best in the country, and he came on to talk about the Big 12 debut for the Bearcats. We are joined now by the godfather, Cincinnati's Dante Corleone. And Dante, you got a huge game this week. The first Big 12 game for the Bearcats. Oklahoma's coming to Nippert Stadium. You are Mr. Cincinnati. So I, I do want to know, like, for the, the Oklahoma fans that are coming into town, like, what should they expect from the city of Cincinnati and from Nippert Stadium? Um, first of all, it's going to be loud, of course. I don't think they think they probably think our stadium kind of small, but they feel like 100,000 out there. So I think they probably going to most likely be surprised at how, how loud it is because it's, it's, it's sink down. So I think mm -hmm. that's going to be the biggest surprise for them. It is a, it's a cool stadium because it is dug down into the ground like that. When you were younger and, and you know, getting recruited and going to games. Did you realize it was going to be that loud before you, you went there or, or what was the first time that noise really hits you? Uh, I think it was UCLA. And then when I first got there, I heard it outside, like just walking. I'm like, yeah, this is very different than I expected. So since then I'm like, yeah, this is a very different stadium. So you grew up in Cincinnati. This is, it's very special to you to be there. I know I'm sure there, there were plenty of people who reached out to you before this season and said, Hey, Dante, come, you know, come play for us. What what kept you in Cincinnati? Um, this loyalty, you know. They gave me an opportunity to play here early in my uh, high school recruiting. So I was like, I just got to return the favor. Then also I trust into uh, John Cunningham, our uh, athletic director. I believe in him. And then he hired Coach Sat. And then I met with Coach Sat, and he laid down the foundation. Then I listened to him. And then he did just that. You know, he got a great coaching staff in. Coach Brown. Our D coordinator, a great guy, you know, 
He teaches me more outside of football than football, but he's also flexible for us as a defense. You know, if we if we want to tweak something on what our, our assignment is, he'll listen, and then he'll go from there. So I feel like Coach Sat. I want to give credit to Coach, coach Sat for bringing a, co- a great coaching staff in, like from the running back coach, like everyone. Like I'm I'm close to every position coach, and it's just fun to show up to work every day. That type so, of for me. When you got to Cincinnati, they had a really veteran defensive line. Yes, sir. How how much did you learn from that group now that you're the old guy? I learned everything. And it's not even the defense in the whole. It was like AP, who played for uh, the coach. You know, he was just telling me little things. Like when he was not getting the ball, like don't be selfish. Just keep playing your role. And then you eventually get the uh, – you eventually get what you want. So I was like all them things. And then Dez, like the whole team was just a great leadership for me. Like just – Build me up so when my time come, I can I can I can make a great example for uh, everybody behind me. Is this you know starting this Big Twelve journey for for the university? How big is it for you guys? Because I, I you know sometimes players want to say it's just going to be another game, but I imagine for everybody around you, they're like, this is huge. Oklahoma's coming. It's 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 a Big Twelve game. Yeah, for 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 us, I feel like we wanted to pay due for all the great teams that set us up to get here, but we also here to compete. You know, we're not finna here, uh, sit here and just uh, sit back and just say, Oklahoma, come here. We're going to compete every game. We're going to try to earn our, earn our, uh, earn our uh, respect. You know, that's something Coach Brown uh, preached on every day during the offseason. You know, they picked us 13 out of 14 in the Big 12. So we just out there going to uh, try to earn our respect every week. So that offense they play, for, for a guy like you, now you are – in the best shape of your life, we were talking about before, you said you, you got down from a high of 362, you're 318 right now. But when you're playing against an offense that moves that fast, how good a shape do you have to be in? Great shape, but I feel like I'm very confident in our, our ability to, uh, to stay in there during the tempo. You know, Coach Nico, Autumn have gaps in the summer. I feel like it's really going to pay off this uh, this game to show how great our coaching, our uh, strength coaches is, so – I feel like we, we're going to accept that challenge and head on. Now, I know we talked about you getting in shape, but we have to talk about the old days. We have to talk yeah. about your – because, again, you're Mr. Cincinnati. You even have your own off-menu skyline order. So I, I got a photo of, of, of your order here. And so your, your, your graphic is blocking. There we go. Okay. So I see the three-way. But the three-way is the side dish. So for, for those who, who've never been to Skyline Chili, the three-way is your pasta, your chili, and your cheese. What is the main course in this dish? <laughs> the, uh, the Cholito. So in my Cholito, I'll put uh, habanero cheese, then I put french fries in there, and then, then I think that's it, really. And then the chili, obviously. So I started this in high school, and I just kept going on, like, to the point that every time I came in, they already knew my order. That's how... That's how much I ordered it back in the day. I was reading Justin Williams' great story on you in the Athletic, and your mom said he would ask for twenty dollars to go to Skyline, and I thought, who who takes twenty? Who needs twenty dollars to go to Skyline? Well, a big guy like me, you know, I love to eat, so I was stressing my mom out at the time. <laughs> well, and and let, let's talk about your mom because I heard you talking about her in another interview. It, it sounds like she really sacrificed a lot to help you get here. How? She would work like 22-hour shifts, basically? Basically. So my normal day in high school, like, when I when I wake up, she's already gone from work. And then when I come back, she's already uh, 
she's still at work basically, but she, she come home, but I'm still gonna be at like football practice. Then she gotta leave home again. So I rarely see her. Then she like miss half of my uh, football games. But sometimes I'd be like, Ma, just go home. Cause sometimes she wanna like sacrifice her sleep to come watch me play. But I'd rather see her get sleep before, you know, I don't want her to like be sick or anything like that. So I told her to go home, but like things like that motivate me, you know, like I can't complain about anything. Like it, it made me like think like if she doing this, then I can, I can run an extra gas or like things like that. The little small things she taught me is like where I'm at today. That's, that's my big uh, motivation every day I wake up. Now, obviously the, the NFL scouts like you a lot that, you know, you were first team all American last year. What will it be like to be able to help her out once that, that day comes it's gonna mean everything i mean i accomplished my goal like um uh, making her you know proud and making her like somewhere she don't gotta work no more you know that's that's really my dream is just to see her just smile and happy every day to not have to wake up and work 16 hours so things like that is where it's gonna keep making me drive so whenever that day come i will be uh uh happy but i'm not really focused on the draft i'm a bear cat so Answer that question. I'm not really the drive not even in my my mind right you, now. You got Oklahoma coming into town. It's it, it, yeah. you you play well against them. All the other stuff sort of takes care of itself. But yes, I I know you also got some nil stuff going on. I I, I saw the ad for the uh, for the the Godfather Pizza <laughs> at Mio's. Now you and my 14 year old would get along really well because this is this would be his order on a pepperoni bacon beef. And jalapeno. You like the spicy. Habanero yes. cheese in your Cholito, jalapeno on your pizza. Yes, sir. That's it's something it's it's unique too. I don't think a lot of people ever order this, but it's something different. It's also it's, it's good. I've been ordering this for like two years in a row, like the straight same topping. So it's just something I like to eat on my pizza. Well, see, I love this because a lot of these NIL deals, the guys have never been to the place or they don't know what you know. They don't have a real plan for it. Like this is your order. This is what you what you get. Yes. So <laughs> I think well, that's why I think NIL should be for like things like that, you know. And that's something I cherish, you know, because they didn't have to reach out to me. So that's just I think they just did that to see like the loyalty I have for the city. Like small NIL deals I get is just like their uh, thank you for me staying. So I take I take uh, I take a uh, good responsibility for it. So when did all this stuff start, to, like the NIL stuff, the NFL stuff, when did that start to, to really pile up? Was that early? Did it, did it take a little while to get rolling? Um, I don't even know because I don't really look into it. So yeah. I, I couldn't answer that question because I'm not really like looking for that right now. How do you, how do you, stay focused how do you keep because that's the thing that could distract oh, anybody it's, yeah yeah uh, i made a i made a tweet a couple months ago about you know ages reaching out to me like i told him like to to really like leave me alone sort of because i gotta focus on this year you know it's a big year for me so the last thing i worry about is the agent so but i told him like if you keep texting i'm a blocky that's the type of thing i'm on but because i'm only blocking <laughs> So it's a, hey, that's a good way to thin the crowd out for when you actually have to make that decision. So when when how much are you enjoying this? Because it sounds like you are laser focused on this season. Are you trying to kind of cherish each moment? 
Yeah, especially because this game is a brutal game. You know, you're not going to be out there every week. You know, injuries pile up. But for me, I'm a Cincinnati guy. Like, there's not a lot of people who say that and play for their own city and actually just stay there and stay loyal to their program no matter what. So I just take that, and I'm excited to show up to work every day. So, all right, t- tell me, what does Cincinnati mean to you? Like, when, when you like- talk about the city, what's it? What, what does it mean? I just feel like it's a saint, like it's like a second family to me. They, you know, it's hardworking people, you know, people that, you know, came from the bottom like myself, you know, had priced hard times when they was growing up, but they worked for everything they got. They were very loyal. You know, they're going to support you no matter what, win, lose, or draw. Like, they're always going to be there for you. So I just feel like there's people that's, they're like, they're just loyal like me. So I just feel like we got a lot of stuff in common and there's something different. I feel like a lot of people probably overlook Cincinnati all the time, but if you come here, it's a beautiful city. So, I feel like a lot of people should visit here. It is. That's what I, the first time you drive in and you see the, the the bluffs and the Bengal Stadium up there, and then the area where where UC is is awesome. I, that's one of those things that I wonder. Like when you host recruits from from out of town, are they surprised at at how cool that environment is? Well, I don't host nobody. No. Um, but you're the you're the billboard man. You're you're the you're Mr. Cincinnati. You know, for me, I'm, I'm gonna come in like to do the Q and A. Like we did like a little Q and A, then they asked us questions. We did stuff like that. But I don't I don't host no recruit. There's no offense, but I just don't do it. But but if they need me, far as like reaching out to a player or anything else, they know I got uh, I got their back. Like Jack and them doing a great job in recruiting. You know, since they got here and there, and I, I love them all. So if they, anything they got. Anything they need, I always got them. <laughs> that is that. See, I like the honesty. I like the brutal honesty. Does it? How does that work in in your daily life? Because you you're just like, nope, I'm focused on this. Leave me alone, agents. I'm not hosting recruits. Like this is this is how things are gonna be. Yes, because this is how I've always been. I was always a uh, a quiet guy, always to myself outside of football. You know, and Coach Nico and them got me. More vocal this year. I, I give my hats out to them, Coach Brown and Coach Sat again. You know, they they challenged me to be a leader this year. You know, I was always got a uh, I will lead, but like I will lead in the back, sort of like if somebody mess up, I will go to them and then explain it. But now I'm being more outside of my my shell, just talking in general, calling people out. Is that hard to do at first to to speak was, up and and everybody's looking at you? Yeah, it was like uh, it's probably the hardest thing I ever did. Then Coach Nigo actually like opened my eye. He was like, "You put so much extra work in after practice. Like they see that and they respect how how hard you work. So they're gonna listen." So when I when I heard that, it just opened up, opened my eyes. Like, yeah, they have to listen because I'm I'm leading by example, you know. So when he told me that, it's like it was it got more easier to me. Well, and, and I was thinking about what you said earlier about your mom being the example for you. And now you're an example for, for other people. Like, how much duty do you feel to, to those young teammates to show them how it's supposed to look and how you're supposed to work? I feel like it's everything to me because I don't want them to go down the wrong path or, or uh, see somebody leading by the wrong example. And I, wanna, I want them to be, like, in a better position than I am right now. So I just, wanna, I just want them to be – so when they, they start a player, they don't want, I don't want them to be selfish. I just want them to be a team player like I am. Just put the team first. Nobody bigger than the team. So I try to put that in, into the, uh, the youth head. So hopefully they listen. So when I leave, hopefully one day they can just keep keep the train going. Now, have you ever gotten any of them to order a Cholito with the fries in it? Yeah. I'm all, see, 
first it started off with the fans. They started doing. I'm like, okay. And then my teammates, they get it on the usual. Like that's some usually uh, a couple of my teammates like usual order when they go to Skyline. Now they just always take a picture and send it to me. So that's funny you said that. So it, it was. It's interesting. So the Cholito, for those who've never been to Skyline, is a chili burrito, like a chili cheese burrito, basically. And the the fries in it. That's a because you think about like you go to Chipotle or one of those places, they put rice in it, so you get you know you get your carbs. But the fries as the carb. Yeah, that's, that's next a different. Level. Yeah, there's definitely a difference. I see. That's that. I can't wait to see as you go forward. You know, you need you need your own line of <laughs> food product. Like Sky, I know Skyline. They 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 have the stuff that they'll put in the grocery store freezer. Like they just need to have the Godfather as something you can buy and and make in their microwave. Yeah, we got to stay tuned. That hopefully I keep working hard so I can get that opportunity. I think if you keep it up, you will definitely get it. Dante, thank you so much. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. The Godfather is a fun one. I, I cannot wait to see him against Oklahoma. That's an offense that is going to try to run at warp speed. So it, it's tough on the opposing defensive lineman. But if you can get pressure on Dylan Gabriel and if you can stuff the run, you can slow it down. And it, it's not been slowed down much this year. So we'll see if Cincinnati can pull that off. Now we move back to the SEC. Clark Brooks, the SEC stat cat. He works for On3. He charts every play of SEC, every SEC game, uh, gets you all the advanced stats, and goes very deep inside these games. He joined us to talk in depth about Alabama Ole Miss and Auburn, Texas A&M. Welcome, Clark Brooks, the SEC stat cat. All of your advanced statistics in the conference where it means more. So these are adjusted yards per attempt that simply mean more. Yes. How are we doing, Clark? Doing pretty good, Andy. You know, we've got three weeks under our belt. You know, I've already, I'm already starting to feel the mileage. You know, one of my jobs for on three is ranking the 550 most impactful players each week so yeah that requires a little bit of a leg work a little bit of man hours but i can't complain as we are trying to roll into a very nice week of uh games here so you know uh over the weekend a little bit of questions across the country even though it wasn't necessarily a sexy lineup we still got right. a lot of narratives and a lot of storylines that i'm just itching to talk about well and and the thing is that there's two games in the sec that i really want to focus on one we've had a lot of fun with already on the show Yesterday and today, Alabama Ole Miss. You've got Lane Kiffin clearly trolling Nick Saban with, hey, that looks like T-Rob's defense. You guys notice that? Anybody see that? I, and I'm like trying to line up the 2019 uh, or, you know, 2020 when, when Ole Miss played South Carolina. I'm also lining up like the, the 2019 Auburn uh, Georgia game, the 2019 South Carolina Georgia game, so I could see a, a Kevin Steele defense and a Traveris Robinson defense against the same offense. Like it's crazy, but it's 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 fun, and I'm sure it has caused some consternation in in the Alabama football office. I think so too. I mean, um, I mean, outside looking in, it doesn't look like things are really running at 100% efficiency down there in Tuscaloosa. Of course, over the weekend, really sloppy, rocky. 17-3 road win against USF. Of course, their quarterback won. 
Asterix didn't even play that game. And yeah, just doesn't look too pretty. I mean, a lot of people have said that the dynasty is on decline or the, the dynasty is decaying. And it's really hard to come up with a uh, rebuttal to that type of claim right now. Well, you, you had a tweet where you're talking about this game and, and actually about how well the backs played and how many tackles they broke. But it started with, with Alabama getting no value from the passing game. Like None. zero. No, like it's kind of a common theme. If you're a bigger, stronger team you and you're playing a lower level opponent, you tend to run a little bit more multi-tight end sets. You tend to run a little bit more gap seams because why? You're bigger than them. It's a football. It's a physical game. You're trying to push them back. Well, I don't know if it was because out of preference or just because out of necessity that Alabama turned to running 12 personnel duo after halftime. So they ran that play 14 times. 12 came with two tight ends and 11 came after halftime. If that wasn't a, any bit of an evidence, they didn't trust whoever, whomever was back there at quarterback and that nothing really was working except for just getting north and south and running between or running behind a double team at the point of attack. Yeah. So, so for those who don't know, duo is you run it to the tight end side and you basically have the offensive lineman combining on, on double team blocks where somebody will then, uh, you know, shed off to the, to the backer. But it starts with, a series of double team blocks, which at, again, like you said, yes. if you're the at bigger, the stronger attack, team, you're not trying to go to the next level, take yep. care of what's there. And if a linebackers come free, well, we're just going to let our, our awesome backs make a play in space. And yeah. They do have excellent backs, very keen on making plays after contact, breaking tackles. Of course, those are stable metrics that just make my heart just throb. So even though there's major concerns with that offensive line, I mean, we're in year three of this thing where the offensive line is not playing at the level that they need to, but because of the backs, they're going to have a shot. Well, and they go back to Jalen Milrow and you've, you've charted them, you know, the first two games with Jalen Milrow starting. And then obviously with the Tyler Buckner, Ty Simpson, poo poo platter, uh, in, in the USF game, how, how are they different with Jalen Milrow? Um, well, honestly, they weren't really letting him decipher things quickly. You know, they were leaning into the potency, the big play aspect that he definitely does provide. So that's a lot more max protection, shot plays, um, longer developing concepts as opposed to shoot RPOs like they did this past game, things in the flat like they did this past game, getting the ball out quick, getting uh, your passer on the move, moving uh, the, I guess, the target for the defense to hone in on. So, yeah, they weren't really, I would say, setting him up for the best success, but they still at the same time were providing him plenty of opportunities to make big plays. Problem is, if you're only having a 30 or so passing success rate and your explosive pass rate is still um, hovering above the above average range like he was. I mean, you know, within the conference, quarterback play, it's not necessarily one of the stronger years. So through the first two weeks, he did pop. He did finish among one of the better quarterbacks in that regard. But still, the, the, the inability to erase negative plays is just so apparent. So Alabama has to work on ways to get the ball out of his hands quicker and to speed up his processing time because you can't be, to use Nick Saban's metaphor, baking a cake for that long and expect that many uh, great returns. Well, and, and it's interesting because what you mentioned about the, what they used with Tyler Buckner and Ty Simpson, the, the RPO stuff, the, the moving the pocket, like with RPOs, you have to account for Jalen Milrow as a runner. Yes. Which makes the defense have to think about that, which I would think that's a pretty serious thing. If you were a defensive coordinator, if you're Pete Golding game planning for Alabama this week, if you're worried about Jalen Milrow as a runner, that's a big concern. 
Usually, yeah. Like, so in the read option game, you know, one high versus two high. If you run two high coverages, usually you're going to have a lighter box count. And most games just say green light, hand that sucker off. But when you have Jalen Milrow and you have the ability to attack not only one side of the formation, but two with his legs, it just really does behoove them. But at the same time, it does go back a little bit to the, the schematics to mm-hmm. where over the last couple of years, gap schemes where they pull people just have not been as effective, which means they basically have to rely on zone blocking schemes to get the job done. And, you know, looking at our fan perspective, not too many fans jump up and down when you just want to hone in on running the ball up the middle. You want to see a little bit more splash plays towards the perimeter. You want to see a puller knock someone on their ass and really get – the momentum and the and the uh, the juice is flowing. Well, that just hasn't been the case. No matter what they've tried on early downs the last three years, they've been a below average SEC offense. They've been below average at providing rush yards before contact. So yes, while Milrow should be able to pr- provide a lot more stress, if that primary run threat itself cannot get going, and Jalen Milrow is going to have to be Superman and beat teams by himself, again, that itself is not a great recipe for success. So well that. Go ahead, Jess. I was going to say, and it, his his best attribute as a passer is the deep ball, yes. which this doesn't lend itself to that. But playing that, off play action does. But to set up. Again, yeah. it, it's also relying on the offensive line to hold up and do their jobs. How many times have you heard a coach say that? Just do your job. So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of questions. We still don't really feel great about what Milrow is in terms of like a top five passer in the conference because that's the goal. If Alabama wants to represent the West and sneak into this playoff, they definitely still can. But stock is just not trending the right way because the most important position is just a quandary right now. Well, Ole Miss still going to have to be able to score on these guys. What what are they going to be able to do against Alabama's defense? So pace and space, that's been the Knicks or the Lane Kiffin approach for many, many years, but they haven't been themselves the best in the trenches. Quayshawn Junkins, Junkins, who was my running back two in our impact ratings ahead of the season, definitely not being that impactful the, uh, the first three weeks of the season here. So um, if he cannot find some wins, and again, it's Jackson Dart having to be the primary driver of this offense. I don't feel as good as Ole Miss, despite their tendency to be explosive. They've been one of the most explosive offenses in the country to start the season. Jackson Dart, in terms of yards per attempt, he's near 12 yards for its passing attempt. So, yes, they are definitely moving the ball fairly effectively through the air, but their style of play, I kind of hinted at it earlier with, um, Milrow needing play action. Well, when we're looking at the super spread scheme, no quarterback over the last three years have had a lower dr- true dropback percentage. So that is excluding screens, RPOs, Utah tap passes, and true play actions than the super spread quarterback. So that's like Hendon Hooker, Jackson mm-hmm. Dart, um, KJ Jefferson, those types of quarterbacks. So that should just tell you how the scheme itself doesn't want to put that quarterback behind the gun too often and wants to keep the target moving, wants to keep going fast, provide a lot of different keys that might look like something else, and then counterpunch you when you're not expecting it. What do you think happens in this game? Who, who Whose offense do you think works better against the defense? That, that which Whoever's calling the defense. Well, <laughs> whatever Lane Kiffin thinks, whoever's calling it, whose offense works better? I think Ole Miss's works better because, look, they returned a lot of returning 
pieces. We know they knew their strengths and weaknesses from their backfield, and that cannot be overlooked at the early part in the season. They didn't have to basically reinvent themselves. They didn't have to have a new voice in the room. They didn't have to try and, you know, put duct tape on a broken system. Well, Lane Kiffin's offense the last couple of years, they've been preeminent in bash counters, bash zones. So bash looks are where the quarterback and the running back flip responsibilities in the run assignment. So normally the running back is following the blockers and the quarterback will potentially hit the edge on a keep. Well, that's swapped on bash design. So not only do you have Jackson Dart potentially being a ball carrier behind two pullers, but you also have a speedy back who could potentially get an explosive attacking a flat-footed edge. So that meshed in with what they do with their normal flood concept. So again, you got to imagine they're running this at lightning speed. A lot of stuff looks a lot alike. So when you're running something like cross, which is a weak side flood, you're sending mm-hmm. your guys over here as opposed to trying to overload the strong side like you'll see on sale. But you'll notice kind of how this thing kind of peaks inside. Well, on skipper sale, or some people know as thumb, thanks to Steve Sarkeesian, you get that bend back action and you just find yourself wide open in a pocket along the sidelines. So that last year was one of their best looks, having them um, applied with power play action, normal play action, and just mixing between the two. Well, the first three weeks, that has definitely solidified itself. Now, the caveat is they usually run this stuff against bad secondaries. And the last time I checked, Alabama's secondary is at least one of the uh, – Units they like to puff their chest out about along with those running backs. So even though I do think that, you know, this Ole Miss offense does have some vulnerabilities, the scheme at work with the um, talent levels they have at wide receiver and the quarterback position, I think is definitely going to give them the edge in this matchup. So let's move to College Station because this is Hugh Freeze's first SEC game as an SEC coach again. Jimbo Fisher, they're worried about him. More specifically, yeah. worried about DJ Durkin's defense. They were not getting any pressure against Miami, and they were not tackling when Miami caught the ball. Mm-hmm. What can Auburn do to attack this defense? Same thing. So, Auburn. Q Freeze, I am not a big fan of this passing offense right now. It's really rudimentary. I've called it a high school offense on Twitter, and they've done very little to try and change that narrative. But I will say I immensely respect their – all in utilizing vertical RPOs. So RPOs, they can be bubble screens, they can be tunnel screens, stuff behind the line of scrimmage. You know, that's nothing new. You're really just trying to stress defensive sideline to sideline that way. But what Auburn does, and has really helped their um, above expectation metrics, has been utilizing RPO fade. So when you dedicate that extra body into the box to try and clog run lanes, you're leaving that person one-on-one outside the numbers. And if they can win one-on-one with a fade, that is a great way to flip the field and provide chances for themselves. Now, I don't think the offensive line, in terms of running the ball, has necessarily uh, done a fantastic job. This past weekend, only a 1.5 rush yard before contact clip when excluding Peyton Thorne's designs, their starting quarterback. So, of course, quarterback runs come a little bit easier than running back runs. So when you see that they haven't been able to push people around and that they really rely on just winning those, I wouldn't say toss-ups, but kind of dodgy types of things, not having a lot of reliance in the true drop-back game, if they find themselves in a hole, 
I really don't like their chances to claw out of it unless the defense can make some plays. Uh, and a lot of that is because of how Connor Wegman has, per- has performed under pressure. Now, I'm not the biggest fan of his arm talent, but, you know, that's only one aspect to quarterback play. A lot of it's cerebral, what's going on between the ears, being able to diagnose things, get people lined up, knowing who's open and being able to decipher ball placement. So, yes, while his down-to-down premium accuracy is not sharp, He throws a very catchable ball. He gives his immensely talented wide receivers chances to make plays, whether it is the 6'6 Noah Thomas, whether it is the soon-to-be impact five-star Evan Stewart, whether it be Anaya Smith, the jack-of-all-trade guys, if he's lining up in the backfield in the slot, just finding matchup opportunities. He knows he's been very well coached this offseason, knowing where to look. And even though, yes, he's been he's been pressured, he's been beating the crap, but look, he's still back there and he has been he has not been broken yet. And last time that I checked, I think he set a completion percentage record for Texas AM over the weekend. So they might not have uh, they might have beaten up on bad defenses at home, and Auburn's definitely gonna be an uh, a tick up in the degree of difficulty department, just but just because of how he has been a fantastic decision maker and not really throwing the ball into harm's way. Because I'd like to mention one of his two interceptions against Miami was because one of his guys just fell down on an open cross. Totally not on him. He's definitely impressed me with how he's been able to match a fantastic result. Even if I am a little bit wary on his process, he still isn't throwing interceptables and he's still giving his guys great opportunities to make plays. Yeah, it, it's it's amazing how it's flipped because last year it was they just got to fix the offense. If they could just fix the offense, now it's they got to fix the defense. And yeah. to your point, if they can pressure Peyton Thorne, they're going to win this game. Auburn but cannot play behind the chance. Yeah, they just, they just, they're not built for that right now. And again, with most, so over the weekend, 50% of their yards came off a form of an RPO. Again, mm-hmm. that usually works when the game is tight, when you have a lead, when you can keep defense stressing. But when you're, when you're losing and you become a little bit more uh, narrow in your approach, that goes out the window completely. So we have not seen um, this year Auburn having to uh, effectively move the ball without RPO. So if they find themselves in a hole or in a true passing down situation, it should be a good advantageous makeup for Durkin and them boys to get back on track. But uh, Shamar Turner, love what he's being able to do at edge, but you know, the secondary hasn't been as strong as you would like. Of course, Josh Berry come from Boston College, a, a few other transfers. So there was a little bit more wait and see what they would bring to the table, but this is going to be a fantastic matchup for them. Because last time I checked, Auburn, they don't really have game breakers at wide receiver either. No, it, but that's the thing. If it works for Auburn, that's when things get real bad in College Station. So we will see what happens. This is one of those kind of – it's not a loser leaves town because Hughes in his first year. He's just trying to get everything going. And that's where that's where Hugh can be dangerous. That's where Hugh's very dangerous. So, Nothing to lose, yeah. Might as yeah. well come out swinging. I cannot wait to watch these games. Clark, thank you so much. That's Clark Brooks, SEC stat cat, going deep, deep into the Alabama and Auburn games. That Auburn-Texas A&M game, it's so, it's, that's how loaded this weekend is, is that game would get a lot more hype, a lot more pub if you didn't have Notre Dame and Ohio State, Colorado and Oregon, Alabama and Ole Miss. But it's, it's one of those that I think if Auburn wins it, we're going to be talking a lot about the situation in College Station on Sunday. 
or we talk about how things in College Station are calming down. If Texas A&M comes out, gets pressure, tackles well, you know, they they need to they need a win in the SEC that looks easy. It's it's weird that the last one they had was the LSU game at the end of last season, but none of the other ones did. So Texas A&M under pressure this weekend. As Clark said, Auburn has nothing to lose, but it is going to be an incredible weekend. We got the pick show tomorrow. Casey Smith from Barstool Sports will join us as our guest picker. I will try not to get everything wrong, but hey, I make no promises. Although it's very hard to get everything wrong. I really, with that graphic, could have flipped a coin and would have gotten more right than I did. It's it's shocking how bad I was last weekend. I don't think I will be that bad again this weekend, but who knows? Now it's time for our extra point. You know what it's going to be? It's going to be Lane Kiffin and Nick Saban side by side one more time. I cannot stop watching. Uh, on this other thing that I hear I mean, floating around right, out there, right. I'm sure you've seen the same reports I've seen, is Kevin Steele is the defensive coordinator. Um, he has all the defensive coordinator responsibilities. The only thing that I didn't um, on from administrative standpoint was game day administration of getting the signals in quicker. Um, all right, so. Game's going to be a banger. Can't wait. We'll talk to you tomorrow.